This podcast was produced in partnership with Post Industrial Media. Post Industrial produces original journalism in podcast, print, online, and video, covering communities in transition around the world. Join our community today by visiting postindustrial.com. Heads up to listeners, there's offensive language in this episode, including racism. Okay, here we go. We gotta get up and fight, guys. God bless each and every single one of you. It's late June 2020 in Heritage Park in downtown Olympia, Washington. There's about 500 people hanging out in the lakeside lawn looking towards a music stage. They're part of a rally put on by the Washington 3% militia to protest COVID-19 measures. In videos uploaded to YouTube, you can see quite a few revelers openly carrying rifles with signs protesting the state's pandemic restrictions. But they're in pretty good spirits at the moment. Country music is in the air and the crowd is singing along. With Borat. Yep, British comedian Sasha Baron Cohen is pranking the rally as his signature movie character. Only they, the crowd, don't know that. Obama, what we gonna do? Inject him with the Wuhan flu. Inject him with the Wuhan flu. Let's hear it! Baron Cohen is in a cartoonish getup on stage. His fat suit is filling out overalls, and he's got a prosthetic nose and pretty clearly fake beard. A straw hat rounds out the costume. His lyrics? Well, if you're familiar with Borat, you won't be surprised. Okay, journalists, are we going to inject them with the Wuhan flu? Or jump them up like the Saudis do? Okay, let's hear it. Who wants to inject them? A lot of the crowd is laughing and cheering, clearly on board with the sentiment. Many have 3% clothing, with the Roman numeral 3 and the outline of the state of Washington. While a lot of the crowd is digging the performance, a few are getting pissed. Some of the lyrics are anti-Semitic, and two Jewish members of the Washington 3%, Eric Rohde and his son Aryeh Rohde, head toward the stage. Aryeh is draped in an Israeli flag, yelling at Baron Cohen through a bullhorn. The comedian is also Jewish, but the roadies don't know it's him and that they're being pranked. Off camera, the founder of the Washington 3%, Matt Marshall, is also pissed. He now knows he's being pranked, and he suspects Borat is on his stage. He's trying desperately to cut the mic, but he's running into a surprising roadblock, as he explained later to the crowd. We had about 50 security protecting our artists up here today, all right? Those security turned on us when that song turned racist. They wouldn't let us in. They wouldn't let us cut the generator. We had to forcefully push our way by them to clear the stage. Baron Cohen hatched this elaborate prank on the militia for his Borat sequel, entitled Borat, subsequent movie film. In the outtakes, you see the scene go from funny to scary. Baron Cohen hurries off the stage as the audience gets angrier. Video we shared with late-night host Stephen Colbert shows cops clearing an angry crowd so Baron Cohen and his crew can leave. They escape in a waiting ambulance. At one point, someone opens the ambulance door trying to get in. Baron Cohen looks scared. Baron Cohen later said one guy who rushed the stage reached for a holstered gun, but was stopped when a security guard grabbed his arm. That's pretty hard to verify or refute. But the prank was a blow to the militia. You can hear the anger from Marshall when he regains the stage. Um, we don't support anything that was up there being said. I just want to let you all know 
that this is a conservative event. We believe in the Second Amendment, and we believe in equal rights for all, and we do not discriminate for any reason, and that man is not welcome with us. Marshall seems sincerely offended, but clearly a lot of his supporters weren't so bothered by the lyrics, at least before they found out they were the butt of the joke. Obviously, depending on your perspective, Baron Cohen's prank might be hilarious or deeply offensive. When I saw it, I wasn't so interested in that part. I wondered, why was this militia even on the radar of a famous British comedian? That's because Baron Cohen knew what I didn't yet. The Washington 3% was pulling off a quiet but effective campaign to increase their influence in rural communities. So I went to Washington State to find out more. I'm Heath Drusen, and this is Extremely American, a look inside militias and other far-right groups that are trying to remake America in their absolutist image. Episode 3, Home in the Grange. That Washington 3%ers campaign was going on all around the state. But the hubbub really gained steam in the once sleepy community of Whidbey Island, shortly after the Borat prank. Whidbey is in Puget Sound. From Seattle, it's a short drive, then a ferry ride. The island is popular with weekend tourists, and it's easy to see why. Rugged coastline gives way to misty pine forests and rolling farmland. In the summer months, crowds of visitors wander through quaint seaside towns and farming villages. It's not where you expect some militia controversy to break out. But it did. And specifically, it started at the Deer Lagoon Grange Hall, opening a nasty divide in the community. The hall is this totally unassuming wooden building. It was built in the early 1900s on the shores of a tiny lake. In case you're not familiar with Grange Halls, let me give you a quick explanation. I mean, I had to look it up. They're these kind of traditional agricultural associations. Nowadays, they're often community meeting places, usually in rural areas. The kind of place where you might enter a quilting competition or check out your neighbor's slideshow of their big trip. Maybe you'd go there to see some local art, but not something like this. Are you guys going to kneel to a tyrant? No! Will you stand for God? Yes! USA! 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 This is not a quilting competition. It's a militia rally. Another Washington 3% rally. It's called a Freedom to Worship protest, and it was organized through the Grange in opposition to COVID-19 pandemic restrictions. The crowd is gathered in a grassy clearing at the edge of a pine forest. There are a mix of militia members, local activists, and supporters. There's a guy in a Revolutionary War outfit, a few people openly carrying guns, and a smattering of Don't Tread on Me flags. There are political booths for several far-right Republican candidates and Christian music. The Washington 3%'s would-be island leader, Eric Rohde, kicks it off. He's the guy who was shouting down Sasha Baron Cohen with his son at the other rally. Well, I bet this is the strangest extremist rally that y'all have ever been to. (laughs) (laughs) No, I hope you guys are having a a really good time. I'm having an, an amazing time. It always feels so good to fellowship like this and come together, stand for what we believe in. Rody's a longtime three percenter, kind of the right-hand man of the group's founder, Matt Marshall. He's joking about being an extremist, but plenty of his neighbors think that's exactly what he is. A lot of people on the island were already alarmed about the increasing influence of the Washington three percent in the local GOP and their efforts to resist COVID-19 pandemic measures. 
This rally sent them over the edge. High school student activists mobilized to advocate for the progressive school policies three percenters and their allies were protesting. And a group of progressive-minded islanders created a group called Solidarity Over Supremacy, specifically to push back against the three percent. Rhodey hates the supremacy part of the name and its implication that his group is bigoted. It's a hard thing to be called a, a Nazi as a Jewish man. And I think it's designed to try to get me to, to abandon, you know, deeply held principles that I have. He and Marshall also hate being called a militia. I think that's in part because it provokes a strong response from would-be liberals and moderate Republicans. Here's how Rhodey described his group and himself to me. Washington 3% is a recognized 501c4 nonprofit organization in good standing and registered with the state of Washington. The work that I do within that organization uh, and as personally, I'm, I'm a civil rights activist at the end of the day. I'm a community organizer. But they also do paramilitary training for civil defense. Marshall likes to wear the Hawaiian shirts popular with the neo-Civil War boogaloo movement, and he's mused openly about civil war. So, based on the definition I mentioned in the first episode, we're going to go with militia. The Canadian government takes it a lot farther, calling the 3% a terrorist movement. The Southern Poverty Law Center says they are part of the anti-government militia movement. For more context on the 3%ers who have chapters across North America, check out episode 2. But back to the Grange involvement in all this. Why is this obscure local agricultural group helping to organize a militia rally? Well, because Marshall and Rhodey's militia kind of took it over. Rhodey quietly started recruiting 3%ers and other allies to join the Grange. And it worked. A Washington State Grange newsletter announcing new members back in spring 2021 showed that. Most chapters list one or two new names. The Deer Lagoon Grange lists 31. The militia and its allies started using the Grange as a gathering place. Not just for the rally, but also survivalist classes, even training on how to treat gunshot wounds. The Grange calendar of events started filling up with movies made by far-right activists and classes teaching fringe theories of the Constitution. Rhodey welcomes this kind of right-wing organizing, as he told the local conservative radio show. Countless members of Whidbey Island have been hosting events for over a year to try to prop up our conservative representatives that are running for various office and to bounce out um, the liberal agenda that is more reflective of Seattle politics and have nothing to do with rural America. And at the end of the day, South Whidbey is rural America. And many of the the representatives and the leaders that we have there have nothing to do with the day-to-day life of Whidbey Island, and they have everything to do with the politics and the demands that come out of Seattle. Okay, you still might be wondering why I'm telling you about intrigue at a local ag association. It's because this is a small example of a national trend. Militias and other far-right groups are targeting local elections and associations that most people don't pay attention to. Rody lays out the strategy later in the radio interview. Eric Rody, uh, tell me what the 3% signifies? The 3%? I think it's been debunked, but it's a, it's a good name. Uh, it refers to the 3% of the colonists that agreed to fight uh, in our Revolutionary War versus the vast majority um, that just said, well, as long as no trouble comes my way, it doesn't really matter if I'm serving a president or a king. Uh, the 3% represents those individuals that are willing to get active uh, to preserve our republic. What it has to do with is registering to become a PCO. That's a precinct committee officer, a local representative for either the Republican or Democratic Party. 
uh, learning about representational government, becoming involved in your community, running for commissioner positions. And this is how we get to the heart of the matter, working with qualified representatives, um, okay. learning how to be effectuous, you know, in your local politics. In the state of Washington, it's very hard to do something on a state level. We have winnable battles, though, in these elections in municipal government. And this is what rattles their cage. And it's been effective. Far-right groups across the country have been getting people elected locally. Anti-mask and vaccine candidates are taking over local school boards and county commissions. Far-right library board members are trying to ban certain books. One city council in Washington even faced a takeover by adherence to the bizarre conspiracy QAnon. And before Whidbey, Marshall had already gotten elected to a school board and taken over another Grange in a different part of Washington. And that's why the Washington 3% caught the eye of a British comedian keen to shine a light on American controversy. He saw the group making inroads, even before a lot of people on Whidbey Island did. When far-right candidates gained power in conservative communities, the backlash was usually muted. But on blue South Whidbey Island, where Black Lives Matter signs far outnumber Trump flags, it blew up. Maybe it was because of this outcry that Rhodey started trying to distance the 3% from what was happening. In an interview with me, Rhodey made it sound like he had nothing to do with the Grange. That's a false narrative that, that's out there. I've never been a member of the Grange. I'm not a, a member of the board over there. But the Grange obviously did have something to do with the rally that I went to. Well, the Grange is a venue that was available to be rented so that we could meet and plan where we were going to have our event at. But that's not the whole story. According to the Washington State Grange newsletter from April 2021, Eric did join in the spring, along with his wife and two sons. In a follow-up message, Rhodey said he and his family intended to join, but never completed the process. I reached out multiple times to the Deer Lagoon Grange master, but never got a response. It's also clear that Rhodey did organize that campaign to recruit like-minded members to the Grange. And that is according to, well, Eric Rhodey. He told the Seattle Times back in March, quote, I am encouraging people to join the Grange. We encourage our members to be involved in the community. Whatever he says now, a lot of Rhodey's neighbors saw his takeover of the Grange and started to mobilize. So they not only organized that anti-extremist group called Solidarity Over Supremacy, but students also started organizing in the schools. They demanded changes at the local high school and got what they asked for. The school has been taking actions in response to work that me and other students in a group called United Student Leaders have done to change our education, like having comprehensive sex education and having them put up a Black Lives Matter banner and other changes like adding ethnic studies class and environmental science class. That's Jackson Murphy, a 16-year-old junior at South Whidbey High School and a leader of the student group United Student Leaders. Jackson is black and gay and says he was motivated by personal experiences. I personally have experienced a lot of racism and homophobia at the school and in the community. Um, I know a lot of friends who have as well. And I'm really making these changes for everyone who comes after me. Like, I'm, these changes aren't going to be finished when I graduate. But I hope that for everyone who else goes through this school and lives in this community, it can be better. A lot of parents and community members cheered the student efforts, including Jackson's mom, Amanda Murphy. I am just so proud of him and the other kids and what they've been able to accomplish. Local um, music educator for all ages. There's a lot of kids that love her. And On July 4th weekend, 2021, I attended a very different rally than the militia protest. In fact, it was an anti-militia rally in South Woodby's largest town, Langley. Hello, everyone. Check one, two. Can you hear me okay? Hello, hello. 
There's about 100 people there, which is a pretty good turnout for a town of less than 1,200 residents. My name is Scott Chaplin. I'm the new mayor of Langley. Yeah. And on behalf of the city, as my official role here, I have the honor of welcoming you all and saying that we are here because we love our community. We value inclusion, safety, and democracy. Racism and division of the right-wing militias really has no place in our community. As you heard from the mayor, this is not a holiday weekend barbecue. It's organized by that group, Solidarity Over Supremacy. And it's a protest against the Washington 3%. And quite a few of the small town's elected officials have come in support. There's music. On the shore of the Speakers. Plane. It's been a rough 16 months. Actually, it's been a rough five years. Actually, it's been a rough 400 years. It's been a rough 600 years. And there are boos and heckling from a nearby bar balcony. There's also a guy in an American flag hat scowling at rally goers from the back of the crowd, pointing his phone at the rally, apparently filming it. This rally, though, it's pretty mellow compared to some of the other recent showdowns on the island. Three weeks earlier, it was a lot more intense. A group of protesters connected to the New Grange members, some with ties to the militia, take to the main road. Then, even more counter-protesters, progressive students and adults, show up. In amateur video, you can see hundreds of people on either side of the road. Again, the biggest town in this community is less than 1,200 people. It's a huge turnout. It stayed peaceful, but it got ugly. This one far-right activist is seen on the video walking down the street, carrying a sign that says, Real Equality Needs the Constitution. She also has an American flag and a rainbow pride flag. She turns towards the progressive protesters and starts yelling. Hey, look, everyone, it's the boxcar-loading Nazis, the new socialist party, the ones who hate Jewish people and everyone else that don't align with them. The new boxcar-loaders, the useful idiots of the future, the useful idiots of the future. Some of it's a little hard to hear as she gets drowned out by students chanting but she's calling them Nazis and socialists. She stopped short of a full confrontation, but obviously some pretty strong stuff. There were quite a few far-right protesters, but they were vastly outnumbered by their more liberal opponents. Student Jackson Murphy says he was proud of the pushback, but also disturbed by what he terms alt-right activity. I think it just makes humidity more unwelcoming for BIPOC people. And yeah, it's hard. There, there are a lot of effects, and I try to not let it affect me personally. Plenty of parents were disturbed, too. Murphy's mom, Amanda Murphy, says she's proud of her son's activism, but she also worries. I'm not a pro-gun person either, and so knowing that specifically the 3% group is very big on armory, um, that scares me, too. I'm just not comfortable with guns in general. And so... Um, it's that, but it's mostly things like, well, is my kid going to be riding his bike by some truck full of guys who have their flags out and, and they want to give him trouble? And there have been some ugly incidents. The high school's Black Lives Matter banner was stolen twice in 2021. And another school banner was spray-painted with fuck commies. To be clear, three percenters Matt Marshall and Eric Rohde say they reject any kind of bigotry, and their group is not accused of orchestrating the thefts or the vandalism. Rody, for his part, told me it's all overblown by lefty residents. 
I just think that there's some very loud liberal activists that occupy quite a bit of space. They have a scope of reach and they have access to media. So they, they get to present kind of some political theater. You'd think looking at some of the national headlines, you know, that have been out there, that it is Hatfield versus the McCoys. But then things actually ratcheted up even more. And what happened next was right out of the modern far-right playbook, the one that Rody openly laid out on that conservative talk radio show. Three far-right candidates made a play to oust progressives on the South Whidbey school board. Marnie Jackson was one of the incumbent progressives. She wanted me to make clear she's speaking as a private citizen and not as a board member. I want to be of service in healing from uh, these racialized, divisive worldviews and starting to dismantle systems of oppression from within. And I think serving our students with a better, more loving and more comprehensive education is one place to do that work. It would be hard to imagine a starker contrast between Jackson and one of her conservative opponents, Don Tarantino. Both Jackson and Tarantino have kids in the school district, but that's about all they have in common. I felt compelled to run for the school board because I feel like it needed some help. There's a supercharge in this area to go towards critical race theory. Just picturing our high school, there is a Black Lives Matter banner on the exterior. There is a pride banner. Tarantino went on to say she has no problem with gay people. However, that pride banner and the BLM flag, those were the first things she mentioned when I asked why she ran for school board. Tarantino is one of the new members of the Grange who joined during Rhodey's drive and also attended that Washington 3% militia rally I mentioned earlier. She says she's not a member of the militia, though. The school board race was an unusually ugly campaign. On that point, both Jackson and Tarantino agreed. It's disgusting. It's very surprising because it's such a small community. We all know each other here. There were insults slobbed back and forth, and supporters of both sides painted the other as dangerous. When the League of Women Voters hosted a forum meant for all candidates, Tarantino and her allies didn't show. Jackson said it's because they feared an honest debate. Tarantino said the conservative candidates already had a prearranged event that day. Both sides treated the race as an existential battle for the future of the schools. Jackson, the progressive candidate, said the tension kept escalating. You know, I didn't know where it would go, and of course I worried that things would get more heated as the election drew closer, but ultimately, I felt so grounded in why I was running and why I was serving that I wasn't afraid of receiving criticism or pushback. Tarantino said it reflected the bigger political divide that's opened up on the island in recent years. I think it's sad. I think it's very sad. Um, I'm not sure what's driving the divide. I know it was spurred a lot with Trump. Then, in October 2021, there was the incident. One no one can agree on. Jackson was the one who called it into police. Thank you, Roland. This is another dispatcher. How can I help you? Hi, I just wanted to make a report. In regards to what? Um, some campaign signs were stolen from roadsides and relocated to the high school. They belonged at the high school? They do not belong at the high school. They belong on websites of private citizens, but they were stolen and rearranged in the letters SU on the high school grounds. What kind of signs? Um, campaign signs for school board candidates, about 50 of them. 
Marty Jackson didn't know exactly who stole the campaign signs and arranged them on the school lawn, but the FU message was clearly directed at her and her progressive allies. Also, you should know, I'm not bleeping myself. They only had enough signs to spell the F and the U. Again, it's a small community. All the candidates publicly condemned the incident. Both political camps blame each other for what happened, and both sides deny they had anything to do with it. Here's Jackson, the progressive school board candidate, who for her part said she was cleaning her mule's stall when the sign vandalism took place. That act really sort of exemplified the kind of low blow that I don't think is appropriate in a political context. Don Tarantino, though, blames the progressives for stealing their own signs to smear her and her allies. It was a political stunt, we believe. The sheriff's office investigated, and the local paper's headline was, Stolen school board signs spell trouble. But we'll likely never know the truth. Sorry to string you along on this caper. The sheriff has still made no arrests. But the small town who'd done it kind of underscored the stakes both sides saw in an election that normally would be pretty low-key. When I was on the island during the campaign, there was real concern among progressives that they might lose the majority. They were worried recent initiatives from students like Jackson Murphy would be rolled back. And the far-right folks, they thought they had a chance. But on South Whidbey, the school board effort is where perhaps the three percenters and their allies ran into the limits of their campaign. Despite Eric Rohde's earlier claims about rural America's inherent conservatism, the far-right message just didn't hit home there. On November 2nd, 2021, voters on Whidbey Island went to the polls in record numbers for an off-year election. And the far-right candidates got crushed. Jackson and her allies won. Tarantino's slate lost. The Grange takeover? It might have motivated people, but not necessarily the people the Washington 3% were hoping to mobilize. A month later, Tarantino still seemed pretty deflated. Um, very disappointed. Very disappointed. Not sure exactly how it happened. Jackson saw it as a validation of the progressive policies the school system had been adopting. You know, I feel great. I feel great about the election results. Um, I feel great about having a resounding yes from voters that the school board is on the trajectory that they want to see. And I really think that these values of safety, equity, inclusion, and excellence are values that are shared by the majority of community members on South Whidbey. But the progressives were right to be worried. In other communities around the country, the far right did make gains on local boards, political committees, and community groups. Anti-mask candidates warning of school indoctrination were elected in two of Idaho's largest school districts. In Lafayette Parish, Louisiana, voters elected a vocal opponent of a drag queen story hour to run a library board. That board had already turned down a grant for a program on the history of voting rights. In Mount Joy Township, Pennsylvania, there were two wins for the far right. A husband and wife went to D.C. on January 6th to support Donald Trump, each won separate local posts. He became judge of elections, and she won a spot on the school board. In Spotsylvania, Virginia, where a new far-right majority was elected in November, two school board members talked about burning books they deemed sexually explicit. And these groups are getting more politically active. They're encouraging members to keep running for office. So you should expect to see even more far-right candidates on your ballot. Next time on Extremely American, we head to Michigan, the cradle of the modern militia movement. We have due process. Well, I mean, if they came to my door and I knew that I wasn't going to get due process and I knew they were going to come with the intent to kill me, I would have to fight back. 
I'd rather not do it by myself, and, and voila, militia. How the militia movement took off, faltered, and is now gaining steam again. Extremely American was created by me, Keith Drusen. Story editing by Morgan Springer. Mixing and sound engineering by James Dawson. Original music by Micah Huang. Additional music from Artlist. Kim Palmero is editor-in-chief and CEO of Post-Industrial Media. Thanks also to Boise State Public Radio, the exclusive public radio sponsor for this podcast. I hope you'll take a second to rate and review this podcast on whatever app you're using to listen. It helps other people find us. This podcast is made possible through the Candida Fund. Learn more at kendeda.org and from the Joyce Foundation, joycefdn.org, with support from the Forbes Funds at forbesfunds.org. For photos from this series and some companion articles, head over to postindustrial.com. This podcast was produced in partnership with Post-Industrial Media. Post-Industrial covers people, culture, and ideas for post-industrial communities around the world. Visit postindustrial.com to learn how you can join the post-industrial community.